State government. This is full disclosure with the Better Government Association. Good morning. This is Trent Nelson. You haven't heard me on this program before. We haven't done this program since its last host left us, Greg Bishop. We know that he is doing wonderful things, however, and we too continue to keep trucking on. We are with David Greising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association. As always, good morning, sir. Good morning, Trent. Glad to be with you. We're so happy to get to chat with you finally, sir. It's been a long road, but we will jump right in the fall veto session in the General Assembly recently closed. What things have been done? What things have been undone? Of course, Invest in Kids scholarship program was something that we've heard a lot of commotion about in Springfield area. But there's also the nuclear reactor bill that the governor originally vetoed, and that seems to be coming back. What can you tell us, sir? Yes. Well, the Invest in Kids Act was really probably the one of the most heated issues during the veto session. This is a program that is very popular uh, with conservatives and and people uh, of wealth. Uh, It gives people a 75% tax credit for making donations that uh, provide scholarships for students to attend private schools in Illinois. Uh, The program is uh, opposed by teachers' unions. They see it as a threat to funding for public schools. And the renewal of the program kind of ran aground during veto. And while the backers of this program say they plan to come back in the spring session or the lame duck session, uh, as we sometimes call it, that starts in January and then spring session gets going, we'll wait to see what happens there. But for now, the funding for this program is very much up in the air and it could well be coming to an end ending a five-year run since the program began in 2018 under Republican Governor Bruce Rauner. Fascinating stuff, sir. And on the topic of what they call school choice, why do the teachers oppose this? What what threat do they see from the wealthier removing their children from the public school system? Well, they see it as uh, taking jobs away from public schools if children are going to private schools with funding that is provided through a state program. They see that as potentially threatening jobs in the unionized public school workforce. And there are different arguments as well that some schools need those extra students in order to be viable uh, financially. We've seen in the city of Chicago, for example, that Mayor Rahm Emanuel 10 years ago closed 50 schools, arguing that many of them just didn't have enough students to justify their existence. And some of those schools now are being reopened. But nevertheless, uh, when students leave schools, it is a threat not just to teachers' jobs, but sometimes to the very existence of the school itself. And so those are the kinds of arguments that the Chicago Teachers Union and other unions were using over the veto sessions up against a pretty robust push by the backers of this program who were seen around the Capitol building wearing blue shirts with the headline, Protect Our Scholarships, because these are scholarships that are offered to people of low income who wouldn't otherwise have access to 
private school uh, education. And so it's a philosophical debate as well. Fascinating. And of course, as you noted, we could spend the entire discussion simply on the philosophies at play. And we wish to, but we know that there were other things left unaccomplished, but also accomplished during the veto session. The mini nuclear reactor bill. What can you tell us about this bill that did pass, in fact? Yes, in fact, uh, we could, by the 2030s, I might add, begin seeing construction of new small modular reactors. These are reactors that produce about 300 megawatts of electricity. That's about one-third the amount produced by the big reactors that we're used to seeing here in Illinois, which has one of the biggest concentrations of nuclear reactors in the country. But for the first time in many, many years, the first time since 1987, we could see construction of new nuclear energy. And this is part of a movement away from carbon-based fuel sources and energy sources. It's a bill that ultimately received support not only from Governor Pritzker, but from unions. The AFL-CIO backed it. The Illinois Manufacturers Association backed it. There were some pushback from the Sierra Club and other environmental groups, mainly because they view this, they view nuclear as, uh, while it's cleaner than carbon-based or oil-based fuel, it um, uh, it is it is perhaps a distraction from, say, a conversion to solar-powered energy or wind energy on a bigger scale than we've seen it in Illinois. And so they're, they've been in opposition to this renewal of nuclear power construction uh, that will come in our state uh, beginning in the next decade once new regulations are written and approvals are gained. Well, we speak to our local branch of the Sierra Club quite often, so I'm sure that that topic will creep up during the next chat we have. Full disclosure with the Better Government Association. Here, this is Trent Nelson here with David Greising, the president and CEO of that organization. We are speaking about Invest in Kids. We've spoken uh, a bit currently about the mini nuclear reactor bill. Now, sir, if I remember properly, um, one of the reasons why the governor first vetoed the bill in the previous session was because of a lack of clarity as it related to the wording of the bill, as well as uh, the regulation aspect. Can you tell us more concerning what changed his mind? You know, the governor has not been explicit about exactly why he changed his mind. This was happening against the backdrop of a big push he has been making toward solar and battery-powered distribution or manufacture in the state of Illinois. He is pushing for a post-carbon energy environment in the state. And I'm not clear on exactly what kind of flipped the switch for him in this instance, other than the support that did build around the ability to build these small-scale nukes and do so in a clean and efficient way for the benefit of people in Illinois. Well, we know that there's certainly a large constituency that is thrilled about this innovation. We also know that one of the major companies that was tasked with developing this mini nuclear reactor technology is currently in some trouble. So it will be interesting to see how that all plays out moving forward. Now, sir, another hot piece of discussion is always concerning 
gun legislation in Illinois. Of course, there have been legal wranglings, state court, federal court. What can you tell us about not only the the court fights, but of course, what's going on with the FOID cards in the Illinois State Police? Well, the real focus these days is on the implementation of the assault weapons ban. And the Illinois State Police has been charged with the licensing of guns that currently are held and will continue to be legal under the new law. And that has been, you know, the court fights have continued over the constitutionality of the law. And Illinois State Police, of course, are monitoring that. But they're busy putting uh, regulations in place in, and, in fact, have begun to accept registrations. They've received registrations for about 6,000 firearms, 3,000 accessories, and about 60 caches of ammunition. And there still are some political pushback against the law, court challenges, etc. Representative Bruce Halbrook of Shelbyville, the Republican, has said hundreds of thousands of Illinoisans won't comply with this law. So the heat is still up around this measure. And the Illinois State Police has been put in the unfortunate position of needing to promulgate the rules and, and implement them. But we're going to see, you know, by by January 1st, we're going to see them registration required and presumably compliance statewide. January 1st is just a stone's throw away, sir. There is... There is not much time left, yet you imagine that as time does continue to wane, that more individuals will will get it done. Certainly, there are many guns and accessories and bits of ammunition that uh, need to be properly registered. Yeah, well, there are many, many of them, no doubt. And and what's going to be interesting is to see what kind of noncompliance we wind up with, whether these uh, estimates that um, the the um, uh, the you know hundreds of thousands of people will not comply. That sounds overblown, but you just never know. I mean, if if somebody has a gun in their in their garage, locked away in their basement, whatever, and um, don't particularly fear that state police are going to come knocking on the door, uh, they may have little motivation. Not to mention the fact that they may have some political opposition to uh, the Safety Act and, and the related re- legislation that was passed in the aftermath of the Highland Park uh, massacre July 4th of last year. And this is, you know, this ban on sales of new weapons and as well as registration requirements for existing weapons is a re- direct result of that deplorable incident. Absolutely. We all understand that actions, even those outside of our control, they do create and demand consequences. And we should always remember, as the philosophers might say, that laws properly only take away from individuals what they can then give to collectives in a more safe and efficient manner. Right? We lose the ability to do X because then we gain the ability as a group to do Y. So food for thought and, of course, Sitting here with David Greising, President and CEO of the Better Government Association. We just have so much that we can discuss. We know that you're a busy gentleman, sir. We know that there's also been some squabbling between the governor and the mayor of Chicago on the migrant challenge. 
What can you tell us about that? And what can you tell us about how that might set up downstate for some different changes? Well, we've now been receiving migrants mainly in the Chicago area since August of 2022. Altogether, some 24,000 migrants have been shipped up from the Texas border to the city of Chicago. More than 12,000 people currently are sheltering, uh, some of them in tents, and we will have thousands more tents being built. Governor Pritzker has allocated a significant amount of money toward caring for these people, $65 million for soft shelter, which is a nice way of saying tents, uh, $65 million to cover resettlement costs, and another $30 million to build an intake shelter so that the buses that are driven up from Texas uh, have a specific destination in mind rather than just pulling up on streets and dropping people off. Um, what's going to happen over the next uh, months, in addition to the build-out of this program in the city of Chicago, is that some downstate cities also are receiving federal months so that they may receive migrants. Those people may come from Chicago and then move down to some of these other places. That is likely the way it would go because it's unlikely that Governor Greg Abbott of Texas will get the memo from Illinois saying, hey, by the way, we have other cities where you could send these people. But Joliet, for example, is going is getting nearly $9 million in state money to prepare to receive migrants. Elgin will get a little more than a million dollars. Uh, Lake County in Illinois will get a, a million dollars. And Urbana is going to get about a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, the, the suburb, Chicago suburb of Oak Park will get $150,000. And so um, this, I think, ultimately will be good for uh, the migrants themselves to go to communities that maybe are not quite so overwhelmed as Chicago so far has been. There's been a lot of sniping between Governor Pritzker and Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson about uh, the preparations that have been underway uh, the governor has made clear, for example, that the resettlement facility won't, he's waiting for a location from the city. He also noted that the city had not specifically asked for this money, but that while observing how slowly things were going, that the governor decided he needed to step in in order to expedite the city's ability to receive all of these many people who continue to come. The flow of migrants has slowed a little bit lately. We're interested to see if that flow uh, continues to be at lower levels or whether we're going to continue to see the significant surges that Governor Abbott has sent up in order to score a political point, really, about lack of control of the U.S. border in Texas. Absolutely. A uh, couple points. Unbelievable that essentially, uh, and of course, the immigration uh, coming from the South is not uh, only from uh, particular governors of particular states, but it is unbelievable to consider that uh, infrastructure funding is now being considered because of the actions of one state uh, towards others. It's uh, absolutely remarkable stuff. Yeah, and, and, and it's also remarkable that until this point, the federal government has really kind of just stood and watched as the mayors of New York and Chicago in particular 
have called out for help. They've been overwhelmed by the, the human wave as well as the costs associated with this. Mayor Eric Adams of New York has been even more outspoken than Mayor Brandon Johnson of Chicago has been. Johnson has traveled to Washington. President Biden visited Chicago just in the last week or so and still has not had any significant help to offer from the federal government. This is a federal problem. It is one state sending people to another state, crossing many state borders as those buses drive up here. And uh, it's surprising that the federal government has not had any sort of meaningful response in order to help alleviate all of the financial and other pressures that are coming to bear on the state of Illinois and the state of New York. Absolutely. And to piggyback off of that point and one of the points you made earlier, there can be some long term positive, especially with the sort of idea in motion of helping individuals that are brought to Chicago, helping them to move to different locations across the state, which in fact do require more kind, positive civilians to help develop their communities. So in the long term, this has the feet to be something positive. But in the short term, as you noted, sir, certainly a federal government concern, a state busing individuals from their state to others. Absolutely remarkable. We are going to keep an eye on that, just as we've been keeping, sir, an eye on Michael Madigan, because somebody surely has to. I mean, unbelievable. We've been watching the ComEd trial. What can you tell us about, about what's going on? with all of those characters, as well as uh, with Ed Burke. Yeah, the big trial on right now, after the conviction of the four people involved in the influence peddling case in which Commonwealth Edison's CEO and their chief lobbyist, as well as Michael McClain, Mike Madigan's fixer in Springfield, and Jay Doherty, who is a lobbyist who was involved in the scheme to create fake lobbying positions in order to benefit the Mike Madigan political machine. That case is behind us. Now we see Ed Burke, once the dean of the city council, the longest-serving council member in the history of the city of Chicago, the head of the city council finance committee, by any measure the most powerful older person on city council for many, many years, Ed Burke, who now is out of office, he did not run for re-election this time, although he did run for re-election after his indictment and was sent back to city council by his constituents for for one more term. Ed Burke is at trial. The trial is underway. Opening statements were made late last week, and we are waiting to see whether the, as the evidence comes in, that Burke allegedly extorted law business from people who had business before the city, that people, for example, who needed zoning permits Burke would find ways to block that allegedly until he could get law business from them. Burke's alleged illegal acts even included the holding up a fee increase at the Field Museum until the daughter of a friend of his could get an internship. This is all now starting to be spooled out in front of a federal jury in downtown Chicago. And it's like the ComEd trial, Act 2, this one is, of what everybody's waiting for, and you alluded to earlier, Trent, which is the coming trial of Mike Madigan, the longest-serving House Speaker in the history of our country, who is expected to go to trial next spring 
on charges of public corruption. And that is going to be, if it happens as expected, that is going to be really the biggest public corruption trial in living memory, just because he was such a significant figure in Illinois state history. And the federal investigation that led to his indictment was so sweeping and brought down numerous people, including the four people who were found guilty earlier this year. Stunning. Stunning when public officials who have sworn to act in the interests of the society, of the constituencies, of their constituents in particular, stunning when they some dishonorable work, as has been alleged to have occurred with Mr. Ed Burke, of course, with Michael Madigan. Michael Madigan, he is a throwback to machine politics days. It is absolutely, you read more about it and you are just, we Tammany Hall. I mean, it's it's stunning the amount of power able to be to be reconciled in one man. But yeah. it's, it's all coming out. And, and we appreciate it, sir. David Greising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association here on Full Disclosure, with the Better Government Association, Trent Nelson. Sir, we appreciate so much all of the education and all of the brilliant discussion, and we look forward to speaking with you next week, of course. Look forward to it, Trent. The Better Government Association publishes investigations and solutions-focused journalism on our news website, IllinoisAnswers.org. That's the Illinois Answers Project. It's got our investigations, our solutions-focused journalism, as well as the opinion columns that I write, and um, I recommend it to your listeners. Solutions-oriented journalism and perspectives. We're a solutions-oriented program here. We appreciate you so much, David. Great to uh, be part of your show, and uh, look forward to speaking with you next week. Have a great Thanksgiving. Absolutely. You too, sir. David Greising, everybody. Full disclosure with the Better Government Association, Trent Nelson. We look forward to speaking with you next week on our regular scheduled time of Tuesday morning. Shining a light on Illinois state government. Keep shining that light.